Well, hello, schnookums. How you doing today? It's Julie back again with another episode of You're in Charge. And I'm going to take kind of a wild ride here, starting off with pride, humility, aka humbleness, and a deep dive I've been doing into just that. Um, Looking at pride versus prideful and common um, statements like when somebody's been humbled and how negative that actually feels, like sensory wise. And I want you to look at things, um, if I say feel it, I don't want you to feel it like, okay, this is the emotion I'm feeling. I want you to sense it because that's different. And we can get so bogged down in our emotions and the stories that we tell ourselves surrounding those emotions. So case in point, um, a common phrase is love hurts. No, love doesn't hurt. The absence of love is what hurts. Envy, rejection, humiliation, those hurt. But actual love does not hurt. But if we, if we say love and I say, I'd like you to feel that, there's an immediate resistance that most people will put up. And it's in that resistance that I'm actually, this is part of the bends and curves and twists and turns that we're going to take on this discussion because when I say okay love hurts now you have a story around love you have a memory of when there was love and now there is no longer love and so now you equate that story with love hurting but that's not actually the truth love doesn't hurt love is the very thing that we that heals us in so many different ways and so from so many different angles. And I'm not here to dissect that in particular, but we take the phrase, this phrase is the example, and in that, when you say love hurts, you're wrapping the story around that. And in that story, you create resistance to going toward love again, be it romantic, friendship, maybe getting another pet because one died and that hurt when the loss of that animal. And so now you don't want to repeat that again. Um, Same thing for the love interest. Okay. That, you know, I got hurt in love here, here, and here. So no, I'm not going to go back out into the dating world. I'm not going to do these things. Friends, same thing. There's a story that we wrap around that. And we assume that that story is the truth. And so then we use that story to protect ourselves. And I'm putting that in air quotes because it's not actually protection it's deflection, it's rejection, it's resistance, it's avoidance, it's all of those things and so much more, but it's not healthy. But we tell ourselves we're doing it to keep ourselves safe. Okay, so we have what I started off with, pride and humbleness and I, this I was posing this question to a friend who who likes to get into the fodder of all of this as well, and she and I have been having a lot of fun with this in the last couple of days after we had the conversation. But it was about about pride and about humbleness, and we had them separately. We had a conversation about she doesn't like the phrase salt of the earth because in her experience when somebody refers to somebody as the salt of the earth they're actually degrading them 
And I found that interesting because for me, when I use the phrase salt of the earth, I think of really grassroots, grounded, cool people, like authentic people. And I can think of a few people, my cousin Gina, my, um, my friend Betty, there's, you know, there's different people from different walks of life, but it's like, nah, these are people, these are real people. These are people that you know that you've got in your corner, even if you don't need them in your corner. You know what I mean? So when she heard me use that, she's like, you're one of the only people I've heard use that accurately, which brought us to the conversation of irony, because often the definition of ironic is used incorrectly. So... Irony, true irony, would be like if you had a bad therapist and then the therapist dies and you actually feel better after the therapist dies. That's irony. That's should the therapist should have been doing their job when they were alive, but then it actually happens when they depart. That's true irony, but people don't use it correctly. So knowing that words and phrases and all of this stuff can be interpreted differently, that's why I want you to feel, meaning sense, things rather than feel them. Because in our emotional state, we get tied into words, thoughts, stories, they get so closely knit that they're very hard to pull apart. So if you get into that sensory feeling, like does this sense, is it a good sense? Is it a, is it a prickly sense? Is it a, do, do I feel uncomfortable? And just because I feel uncomfortable, is it a bad uncomfort or is it just an unfamiliar uncomfort, discomfort? <laughs> Sorry. And so that's why I I want you to get there because we have so much to untangle. There's so many decades, decades, generations, centuries even of thoughts and emotions being smashed together in a way that is not beneficial, that it's hard to pull that apart. So My goal is to help you with what's here and now for you. And it's in the here and now that is the power. In the present moment, your senses right now, your awareness right now, not stuff that happened in the past, not stuff that might happen in the future, but right now, this is the only place you have to choose from, to, to move from. So yes, you can think about the things that happened. You can have evidence of the things that have happened, but our emotions get in there and our ego gets in there. And so our ego's job, as I've said many times, and we'll repeat again and again, is only to keep the status quo. It's to keep us exactly where we are without change because for the ego's purposes, they believe that that's safety. Even if the status quo is misery, is emotional or physical pain, if you have worked your way through that, if you've been in that for any length of time, that is your normal. That is your status quo and your ego wants you to stay there. It doesn't have to make logical sense. It actually doesn't make logical sense most times, but that's what the ego wants. So in that, with these terms, with looking at humble versus pride and and all that, and I didn't even get to the, the verses, we were looking at the humble, we were looking at being humbled and then pride and prideful. I, I 
posed this one and said, this, I've been dissecting this and I'm like, I just wanted to ping it off of her and, and see what she brought back. And what we brought back was so fun and cool and, and like, only because this is the stuff that fascinates me. So here we are. I love how people work, how things work, and which is another point that I want to get to. I'm going to try and put a pin in that one right now, and we'll come back to it later. But the pride thing, I was looking at it, and I'm like, I've been looking at this for some time because it is, it's a sticky wicket in that we're told to be proud. And there can be a very positive side to being proud. But then there's the of pride. And so in looking at it, in asking the question that I asked, where's the positive, what's the negative? I can't even remember exactly how I asked it. We went down this fun little rabbit hole. And what I saw is prideful versus proud. And prideful is more of the negative version. And it's not a hard and fast rule, but when somebody is prideful, they, there's an arrogance to them and a believing that they are correct and, and that a defensiveness that also kind of inherently seems to come with that. So in looking at that version, what I noticed was the ego has them in a big way. And if the ego has them, there's no self in that. And I was looking at the people that I've been seeing reflecting back prideful and noticing how they don't choose what they want they choose what they think will keep them safe, stable, say money, status, you know, toys, things, whatever. Well, that's the ego's way. That's what's always been for not just these people, but the generations before them. This is what they've been taught. So this is what I mean when I say, the ego's job is to keep the status quo. Well, the status quo doesn't necessarily even have to be your status quo. It can be generations before you, that status quo. It can be long-term. And in keeping that, you have to surrender you, the real you, not, not like the, the definition of what, what you is, the meaning like the roles, the characters we play, the, the ways that we live to fit in rather than the you that just belongs to you as you. It's more relaxed. Like the you, the real you, when you embody that, your truth, as you were born, there's a relaxation to it, an ease, a comfort, with a, like a lightness that happens. But if you're embodying the ego version of you, there's a defensiveness, like I said, an arrogance, um, and it, it doesn't always have to be an arrogance. And so this is what I was getting into in terms of the, the twists and the turns that this will take. Because I was talking with an old friend and we were talking about the moms and the moms who were taken for granted and overlooked and how it's, it's almost, I mean, it's expected. So here's another status quo. It's like, just because that's status quo doesn't mean that that's okay. But we take it because, well, the generation before us took it and the, uh, the one before that took it. And, 
and so on and so forth. And isn't this just the way that things roll? And just because it always has been doesn't mean that it always should be. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. So I was looking at this and raising our kids and talking about how that goes and what that looks like and divorces versus, you know, um, the families that are still together, be it in a healthy marriage or um, a part healthy partnership or really unhealthy partnerships. It's just looking at all the ins and outs and how people are doing this. And let me put the caveat in there of just had a conversation this morning about parenting and looking at responsibility, our own responsibility, my responsibility as a parent. And where I was years ago was taking all the responsibility for parenting, for any mistakes my kids made or any, and, and I, yeah, just the mistake actually. So let me retract that all and saying, I took responsibility for everything that was negative and I would not take responsibility for anything that was positive. Might be like, okay, that's nice. You know, if somebody paid a compliment or whatever, but I wouldn't take responsibility. Well, I think that that's more the norm with women in general is to take responsibility for that which is negative, but not that which we've created that's positive. So in saying that, the conversation I was having today was to say, yeah, you know, I'm just looking for how this interaction, this situation with one, me and one of my kids is how, what's my responsibility in it. And I'm not looking for it in terms of let me flog myself, but looking for it in the terms of, no, let me be accountable for what I've done and what possible role I have in creating a negative situation. That said, it's accountability, not responsibility. And that difference, accountability versus responsibility, is kind of the nuanced difference I'm seeing between um, prideful and pride or humility and humbleness and the things that I'm looking at. So it's, it's the difference between when yourself, when your real you is present, there's a balanced energy, a grounded energy to it. And when it's coming from ego and defensiveness and like the, the attempt at safety, then there's a, an imbalance. And let me tell you that I am the first to say I have been incredibly imbalanced in my life. I have been an enabler. Um, I have been um, codependent and taking far too much responsibility for everybody's everything, trying to control certain situations. And mind you, it was coming from a very good place, but wow, the impact is off. And so what I was seeing when I was talking with my friend regarding kids and, and being taken for granted as moms and all of that stuff is the desire to fix a situation between a relationship that isn't ours, but is in our direct consequence. So if it's our kids with the other parent, our kids with their friends, all of those things, to believe that we have the right answer for them is a very natural instinct. We want to protect them. We want to make things easier for them. We want to make it nice, do all these things. Well, actually, that's a really egoic way of looking at 
the thing. And to say that we have the right answer because we know the other parent, because we know the kid, because we know the, the kid's friends, because we know the, the parents of the kid's friends, all of that. It's in our, in our world, in our circumference, in our orbit, but it's not ours to take care of. And I've spent a long time peeling back from my own dis-ease in situations like that, because that's exactly what it is. It's a diseased way of thinking. It's a diseased way of going into any relationship thinking, okay, I have your answers. Even if I'm not directly in that relationship, no, honey, they have the answers. And sometimes what we need to do is not give them the answers. Let whatever is going on, whatever dynamic is happening between the friends or between the, the other parent and, the and your child, let it play out because maybe it needs to explode, get to a boiling point, get to a broken down situation for them to learn whatever lesson they have to learn and then reconvene. They get to decide how that happens. But if we intervene, if you intervene, if you give them answers, if you give them help, you know what ends up happening more often than not is you become the scapegoat. You become the thing, the person, the reason that this all blew up or that this didn't blow up or you need to fix this. And then you become responsible and you're overly responsible for other people's stuff. If that happens, it's burdening you. If it's burdening you, then you are more likely to literally become diseased, to get sick, whether it's migraines, fibromyalgia type stuff, cancer, heart disease, even just something simple like acne or asthma, not that asthma is simple or whatever, but all of these things happen. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. It's science. But we don't recognize that our emotions and our thoughts create reactions. We're in a, a science experiment all day long. It doesn't matter if you look at this as a religious, a spiritual, a scientific experiment. It's all the same thing. It doesn't matter what you call it. You're in it. And so peeling back and looking at this from a curious standpoint, an objective standpoint, a, huh, what's going on over there? How did I do that? Where, you know, in reflection of the circumstances, it's all beneficial to you because then you can learn from it. Just seeing where we are, seeing where you've come, seeing why things might be on a loop. And now I'm going to get into another form of ego that I'm notice, noticing within this pride and, and humbleness deep dive that I was doing is there's a pride that comes out. And this is a prideful one where you say, oh, I don't deserve that. I'm not good enough. And believe it or not, that is a pride thing. It's a severe inversion, a distortion of pride. But pride is absolutely the core of that one. And when we say, I don't deserve this, I'm not good enough for this, I'm not worthy in any way, shape, or form, and I'm going to stick to this being 
the lesser thing that you believe that you, this is all I'm good for. And, you know, let's say it was low grade meat that you were just buying because, well, I can't afford it. And it's, this is, this is all I'm worth. And you might not be thinking that logically, but it might just be like, okay, this is all my paycheck might be reflecting. So I'm just going to get this and not the filet mignon that I really, really want. And, but I'm just, I'm not worthy of it. And I'm just going to settle for this. And maybe you've settled for this for decades. And maybe actually your paychecks changed over the time, over a span of time. And you actually could afford the filet, even if it was only once a month or once every couple of months, you might've been able to afford it a while ago. And now you just kept choosing to buy the lower grade meat instead because, well, that, that's all I'm really good for. Well, that's a pride issue. And in choosing to stay in the low grade when you are worth more than that, and this is kind of a rough, a rough example because it's kind of, I'm kind of messing it up between emotions and like a, a monetary thing. It's not necessarily coming across clearly, but I'll hope, hopefully I can straighten it out a little bit. So in doing that, you're settling for something less than, but you're keeping yourself there in that loop. Status quo staying put when you could change your job, change your circumstances, not buy something that is unhealthy for you so that you could buy a higher grade meat, like whatever it is, you know, there's ways that you can look at it differently. And maybe you bought a package of meat at one point. And you like, wow, it, it was the low grade stuff that I was talking about and you got food poisoning from it. And, but you went back and bought it again later on after you recovered from the food poisoning. That would say that instead of learning, hey, low grade can really reflect, um, not reflect, but insert me into a circumstance where it's a strong possibility I'm going to get sick from this again. And you keep going back to that. That's a pride situation. That's an ego situation. And where some people would say, oh, that's self-sacrificial and saying, oh no, it's good that they're, they're humble for having those lower quality meets and the lower quality relationships or whatever. No, that's actually very egotistical, very self-harming, and it's self-harming. It's not just self-harming, you're harming those around you as well because these things ripple out. Okay, let's see. Can I, can I button this up a little bit, clean it up? So in looking at the humble and looking at the pride, there's a good, mm, I don't want to use good. I don't mean that. I mean, because there's nothing wrong with being prideful. There's nothing wrong with being salt of the earth positive, salt of the earth negative. There's nothing wrong with this. We need these things to be balanced and imbalanced. We need them for reflection. We need the duality in order to learn from it. We need to be able to see how we feel in a imbalanced, unhealthy situation so that we can go, oh, right, I don't want that. And then experience the healthy, balanced situation go that I want more of that but 
we can't have one without the other. We can't have light without dark. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's the absence of light that creates dark. So there's nothing wrong with it, but that's why I'm using this reflection on pride and humility or humbleness as we were discussing it. Um, And the pride there's being proud of something. I saw a picture yesterday where it was um, a picture of architecture from, I don't even know how long ago. I mean, it was, it was a gutter. It was literally a gutter, a, a, a downspout. And it was this gorgeous, copper like antiqued copper downspout but it had gold um gold leaf and then at the mouth at the very end of the downspout was a lion's head open like with the mouth open so the the water would flow through it and it was it was a work of art in no uncertain circumstances and then there was beside it a picture of a current day gutter, which was a rusting piece of metal. And it was like, bleh. We used to create things out of beauty, out of love, out of pride. The person who created that gutter, that downspout, all those years ago, they're long since gone, but they could be proud of what they created because we are still admiring that now. That changes how somebody feels when they look at that. There's, whether they know it consciously or not, It makes the surroundings more beautiful. It makes it more pleasant to be around, to be in the world. Where the other one just kind of feels mundane. It feels blah. It feels like it's just perfunctory. It's just, it's creating... A means to an end. Okay, here it is. Blah. Put it up. Do it cheap. Get it done. That also makes us feel a certain way. It makes us feel unimportant. That building, the people that might inhabit it, there's going to be an energy within that that says it's not that important. This place isn't important. The job isn't that important. I'm not that important if I'm performing the job. Do you see what I mean? I hope I'm coming across clearly with what it means to be proud of something and what it means to be prideful. The person who created that downspout with the lion's head and the gold leaf and all of that, they can be proud of what they put into the world. And they don't necessarily have an arrogance about it. They might have just been a very common person. They might have just created that. That, that might have been the norm for the, the time period. It might have been in the re- Renaissance era. I, I couldn't even tell you that. But they had a respect for themselves. Therefore, that translated to their creation. They were present in the creation of that downspout. And so there, you can be proud of what you put out into the world. Whether somebody knows it, you know, the artist didn't write their name on the downspout. Not that that's wrong either. Write your name on your art if that's your thing. For sure. 
if you want to put it out there, if you want to create more, have more people come in and, and, and buy your artwork, there's no reason why you shouldn't make money for your art, for what you put out in the world. If your art is literal art, where you are drawing, sculpting, doing something, or it's artwork like that, where it's architecture art. The, it can have a function as well as be beautiful. I, I love nothing more than when form meets function. It makes the space feel amazing, whether you know that or not. So when we're humble, that's, that's the piece. All right, so then... <laughs> I don't even know if I'm like, I'm all over the place, but so I'm still going down this deep dive. So me, like if anybody knows me, I always have a dictionary and a thesaurus somewhere nearby me in, in the house, definitely. And I'm always looking up words and trying to reverse engineer stuff. So I went into the pride thing and laughed when I looked at the antonym for it and it was humble because my friend and I had started and we had these two conversations about pride and about being humble, but we didn't even put together that they are the antonyms to each other. And so that made us laugh even more because even in having this deep dive, we didn't even connect the two things at all until days later. So there was that. But when somebody is humble they're not a braggart. They're not, you know, out there tooting their own horn. Okay. So here we are again. That was a phrase that also got thrown into what we were dissecting here about pride. Don't toot your own horn is one of the things that I heard as a kid. And I have a negative connotation around, but she was saying, no, you got to toot your own horn. And I'm like, yo, I get it. I totally get what you're saying. And it was in a positive, enforced space, in an, an empowered space that she was coming from. And I said, I totally respect what you're saying. And I will wordsmith it and I will come around and I will approach it in a positive light. But I'm not going to use that phrase yet. Not in a positive connotation. I will get there. I'm allowing myself to be here, work with the concept, and keep moving forward, not using toot my own horn as a thing. So that said, I'm also on the sidelines of my daughter's game the other day. And there are some women that work at the school that are all amazing. They are strong women. They do their jobs well. They are accountable. They are real. They don't try to disguise when something is mm, less than positive, excuse me, less than positive. They work with it. They heal. They move forward. They like amazing women. So I'm in conversation with both of these women. And one of them is there on the sidelines and she says, well, I just get paid for this. And I said, whoa, why shouldn't you get paid at what you do well? So again, just in that little comment, I don't think she even knew what she was saying. But just like the women, the strong mothers that are taken for granted, Women are taken for granted. Many people are taken for granted. Many races, many cultures, many. There's a lot of oversight and taken for granted. So I'm not trying to say it's just women or, you know, anything like that. I'm just using this example. We allow ourselves to be taken for granted because we expect that we shouldn't make money for something that we are good at. We should just be humble. Okay, there's the negative. Hold for a moment. Now, in this case, 
these women should both be allowed to toot their own horn as far as what they've accomplished in this school in healing other people and being positive influences. But they won't. That's not their style. But there's also a component that they should be allowed to claim within themselves, if not also outside of themselves, I am good at what I do. And I should be rewarded accordingly. Whether it is with positive words, positive actions, monetary recourse, it doesn't matter how or in how many levels, it matters that you understand that. So there's a very subtle switch in all of that from prideful to proud. These women have every right to be proud of what they put out into the world because they are changing kids' lives. They are bettering their lives. Do they get a lot of flack for it? Damn straight. Do mothers get a lot of flack for how they raise their kids? Damn straight. And to circle back to that conversation I had earlier today, there is not one human being, not one parent on the face of this earth who is not going to screw up their kid in some way, shape, or form. That does not mean that you are a bad person. That does not mean that you are an unloving person. It does not mean that you are dysfunctional as in like, useless, worthless, any of that. It means we are human. There is no way to escape screwing up your kids, period. End of story. We are all going to make mistakes. It is inherent in being human. There is no way to avoid crisis. There is no way to avoid chaos. There is no way to avoid, avoid calamity, failure, any of it, it will happen on what level, on what frequency, how frequent that occurs. That depends entirely on if you are willing to reflect and learn from what's happened. And the way we do that is not by looking at the person that is also involved with this, whether it's the other parent, whether it's the kid, the relationship, whatever. You have to look at the issue, not the people. If you are focusing on the issue at hand, then you can work through anything. If you are focusing on the person and you are blaming the other person or holding them entirely responsible or not responsible at all, then you will repeat, repeat, repeat the issues. You will be eating bad, low-grade low meat. You will be whatever. I hope I'm circling back around. I hope this is becoming clear. It's our lives are very nuanced. Our thought processes, our emotions, all of it is very convoluted because there's so much that's been out of balance for so long, we don't know where the balance point is. Well, the balance point is inside of you. It is not outside of you. The balance point comes from self-awareness. It comes from looking at who you are, what you deliver, both good, positive, and indifferent, both, all. You are a work of art and moving the extra components out of the way to reveal that work of art, that's your job. There's stuff that you've been holding on to. There's things that are in the way of your work of art and identifying what those things are 
That's the issues. Those are the issues that you're looking at. So make sure not to look at yourself as the issue. See the issues separate from you because they are. They are separate from you. Will you bring issues into the world? Yes, you will. If you don't remove the stuff that's in the way. Very nuanced. So I don't know if I circled around and was and cleaned that up or not. I hope I did. But if you've got questions, put them on here. There's a space on the podcast that can literally ask questions per episode. So if you have it directly on this episode, on this thing, go back and ask a question. I'll get notified. And then we can have more of a discussion. I can discuss it. You don't even have to, it's you won't be out there and noticed and stuff. You can, there's a safe space here. And if you've got the question, there are a lot of other people that have the same question. So you'd be doing a favor for other people. So maybe that's a way that you can get out of your own way. Just say, oh, I'm asking this question for somebody else. Just so you can put that ego part of you aside and just go, right, yeah, I'm doing this for somebody else. It's actually to help them. Okay, good. Let's go. Let's use the ego for our benefit. And that's the other thing. You're never going to get rid of your ego. You're never going to get rid of the chaos and all of that. So work with it. And, oh, that was something that I wanted to circle back to, that thing that I put the pin in. Having something that you speak of, that you are passionate about, and it doesn't have to be passionate. It's like, it's just something that fascinates you, intrigues you, whatever. Talk about that with somebody. Don't hide that away. If you're not comfortable talking about it with somebody yet, you're like, okay, I'm going to totally geek out on Star Trek. I love Star Trek, or I love sci-fi in general, or there's, you know, you're a motorhead, a gearhead. You, you love to talk about how things are built, or maybe you're really into politics, or um, you love dyeing hair or doing hairdos in a certain way. It doesn't matter what it is that you talk about that you love. It's just this something that lights you up inside and you want to talk about it with people, but maybe you're like, oh, I'm boring this person or I'm afraid I'm going to bore them or they're not into it. Okay, this is the challenge that I'm going to put out there for you. I want you to find somebody that you feel safe talking with that thing that lights you up. I want you to talk about it for at least two minutes straight. Just really get into it totally geek out on it. Let your inner geek just fly, just freak flag flying, go for it. And see then after that two minutes is up, look at the other person and see how they're responding and and do this throughout the two minutes. If you don't have the courage to yet engage somebody else this way, Just look in the mirror and watch yourself as you talk from the heart about this thing that lights you up and notice your own face because this is the work of art that I'm talking about. There is no way you can talk about something that lights you up on the inside and if you let yourself go and you really allow yourself to fully engage that and not be worried about what other people think, their judgments and how they're going to perceive it. But you just focus on you, how that feels inside of yourself and relaying it, having a voice, talking about it, write about it, create it, whatever. You put that out there. You cannot avoid seeing yourself lit up. And when you light up, you light other people up. That inspires them. People want to hear about that. And actually, there is a humbleness in that. It, humbleness doesn't have to be meek, modest, beige, you know, uh, 
nunnery, uh, you know, of the cloth type of person. That's one aspect that we learn, but that's actually the prideful version. If you do something well, if you, if you are spreading the word of God, for instance, there's somebody like there's a, there's a lot around that that says you have to be humble, you have to be meek, you have to give up this, 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 and this in your life. I'm going to say, no, you don't actually have to give that up. Your religion might say that you have to, but you as a human being do not actually have to. But there's a set of rules that you are subscribing to that say that you do. That's between you and your God and your, really your religion. It's not even your God because your God doesn't ask you of anything. That's the human inter interpretation of your religion and that's fine for you to do. I am not damning anybody's religion. I am not saying you must do it this way or that way. It's what works for you, but you need to find out what works for you. So talk about those things that light you up. That works for anybody. The more we do that, like I said, if it's just a downspout that's got a lion's head, that's such a simple, common, functional thing that we can take for granted. And when we take something for granted, that's prideful. When we notice it, we're accessing ourselves through that. We're, we're seeing it through our heart, through our sense of being. We're noticing it. We're taking it in, absorbing it. That's proud. That's character building. That's uh, so much. There's so much richness. And I hope you can sense the difference between them. So play around with what's happening for you and you're prideful. Are you taking too much responsibility for things? Are you not extracting yourself from those low-grade situations, people, products that you know aren't good for you because that's engaging a, a form of pride. Engaging the people, the things, the ways of living that light you up that's something to be proud of. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. So with all that said, this is Julie signing off and I'm leaving you in charge. Take care. <laughs>